0: For your support, it's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Wednesday, September thirtieth, twenty fifteen. An auspicious day if you are a Macintosh user. Today is the release of Mac OS X El Capitan. <laughs> yeah, I'm an incurable Mac user, Apple file, I don't know what they call it. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. And this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically and help you slow down, stop, open up your Bible and compare what people are saying in the name of God to the word of God. No shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up our Bible. Yeah, you know, take a look at the scriptures In context, the way they're supposed to be read, Uh, using sound biblical hermeneutics and exegesis, a Christ-centered approach to Scripture, proper distinction of law and gospel, which, by the way, the Bible teaches us to do that, to compare to see what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, self-proclaimed apostles, and apostoluses... (laughs) You have to work on that. Pastrix is, I think, the female feminine form of pastor, which, by the way, I coined that word. Yeah, I know, I know. And, uh, and and so I'm trying to, apostolics doesn't work. Uh, apostolics. you know, I, I'm I not sure what to do with the female apostles. But, you know, anyway, to see if what they're saying actually squares with what God's word says or if they're twisting God's word, not teaching sound doctrine, not teaching, you know, Christian orthodoxy, but are twisting God's word and teaching for shameful gain the things that they ought not to teach. Yeah, which is a bad thing. Now, part of the uh, way in which you learn discernment is to become extremely familiar with the uh, the original. You know, the way you spot a counterfeit is by becoming, you know, an expert on what the real thing is, and that requires exposing you to good, sound teaching on scripture. You know, and so uh, we've been doing. Uh, in fact, every week we have a light episode. Most of the time it's on Wednesday. Sometimes I'll have to move it, but. Um, Our light episodes, Uh, I've been featuring uh, a lot lately uh, my Sunday school lessons that uh, I've been delivering at the church that I serve, uh, Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota, and uh, we've been working our way through uh, the book of Genesis. We're up to Genesis 24. We lovingly refer to these segments as Roseboro's ramblings through Genesis, because as you listen to them, you can kind of see that there's, you know, it's part lecture, part taking questions, um, and you know, oftentimes I'll go on little bunny trails and things like that. So it's, uh, my ramblings through the book of Genesis, we're up to, uh, Genesis chapter 24, grab a Bible and we will get right to it. Here we go. All right, let's pray. O oh, holy and most merciful God, you have taught us the way of your commandments. We implore you to pour out your grace into our hearts, cause your word to bear fruit in us being ever mindful of your mercies and your laws, we may always be directed by your will and daily increase in our love towards you as well as one another. Enable us to resist all evil and to live a godly life. Help us to follow the example of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and to walk in his steps until we shall possess the kingdom that has been prepared for us in heaven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Okay. Genesis 24. Now, as we enter this next portion of the book of Genesis, we are entering a part of Genesis that can be easily misunderstood. And what I mean by that is if you really want to pay attention to how to rightly get what's going on, you have to pay attention to who has the ball. It's kind of like football. Who has the ball? And the ball is the Word of God. And it comes in revealed format. So the question is, who's got the ball? If you're paying attention to who's got the ball, you're going to get it. If you are unaware that somebody's supposed to be having the ball, well, it's like watching baseball and not knowing how the game is played. Okay? You don't understand why people are throwing, why people are cheering at different things. You're going to miss the whole thing, right? You're not going to get it. So in a sense here, pay attention to who's got the ball. And I'll make sure to point it out. And the ball is the revealed Word of God. There are people getting direct revelation in Genesis. And that's the person with the ball. If you don't notice that, then what happens is you're going to see stuff happening. And you're going to go, why is this person doing that? The answer is the reason why that person is doing that is because that person has the ball. And they believe the Word of God. That's the reason. Okay, Genesis twenty. 4 Abraham was old well advanced in years and Yahweh had blessed Abraham in all things now remember Sarah is dead now she's buried Abraham said to his servant the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he had put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord the God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not Take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. Quick note here. This is one of those awkward things in the Bible. Put your hand under my thigh. Okay, that's kind of a euphemism. Okay, He was talking about an oath sworn while holding Abraham's Right. Okay? Okay. That's what that means. Apparently, this is a cultural thing of the ancient world, and it gets recorded here in this text of Scripture. And notice the words that go with it. I know as as awkward as this seems, we're not junior hires, so we're going to deal with the text as it stands. "...put your hand under my thigh that I may make you swear by the Lord." So Abraham is fully aware of the fact that, well, the Messiah is promised through him. This is pointing to the promise of the Messiah as Abraham's seed. That's all I need to say. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a few passages of Scripture that you just sit there and go, oh man, I've got to teach on that. You take a deep breath, and you teach on it, and then you go,
1: run away, run away.
0: (laughs) So you've got the point. It's messianic. It's pointing to the Messiah in a really culturally awkward way for us. I mean, man, I'm glad I didn't live back then. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so they make you swear by the Lord, verse 3, and the God of heaven and the God of earth that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. Big thing going on here. Big thing. Marriage is mucho importante, and it has really been since the sexual revolution, the '60s, the institution of marriage has suffered all kinds of violence. And with the sexual revolution, keep this in mind: man is not made for fornication. man is made for marriage. And the way society has treated marriage. They have turned it into something that it isn't. Marriage, if you would, biblically speaking, is the lifelong union of one man and one woman for the purpose of procreation. Our society has turned everything into a focus in on sex. It's companionship with sexual benefits. And it doesn't matter who your companion is. That's not marriage. It's not. You'll notice here in this text that marriage is so important that who Isaac marries is important. He is not to take a wife from among the women of Cana. Why? These women are idolaters. Abraham has lived among the Canaanites now as a sojourner for how long? And it's like, under no circumstances is my son my only son, to take a wife from among these women. And he even knows that they're going to be judged. He even knows that because the Lord has revealed that to him. So go to my country and to my kindred, take a wife from my son Isaac. The servant said to him, perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Pause real quick. Yeah. Is this an
1: arranged
2: marriage?
0: In a sense, he's going to go fetch a wife. Obviously, Isaac and this girl, they didn't go to the movies. They don't even know each other. They don't. This is, in a real sense, an arranged marriage. And Abram's sending his servant off, whom he trusts, to go and perform this on his behalf. Power of attorney here, if you would. But notice here that Abraham is absolutely confident that God will send before this servant of his, one of his angels. First real passage that starts to give us an idea of biblical angelology. Not a lot written about them. Not a lot. But he is absolutely confident that the Lord will assist this man by means of an angel. That's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Luther goes into great length in this in his commentary, which I think is also fascinating. But the idea is, is that as Scripture develops angelology, we know that they are ministering service, that they serve us. This is God's will. So each of us who are Christians, you know, they talk about guardian angels, we truly actually have those. And so they are invisibly working to work things out in our life. And only on the rarest of occasions are you ever going to be aware of their presence or what they're up to. But they're there. They are truly there. And this text is one of those texts that kind of bears that out. And so other passages of Scripture flesh out that they are ministering service. They serve us, which is all very important. Very important. So we believe that, and we don't know who they are. But keep this in mind. I I like the way Luther talks about this. We have, as Christians, loyal, and I mean this, loyal friends whom we've never met, sent by the Lord to guard and protect us. They are his angels. And they know all that's going on in your life, and yet they serve us. And so they're there to protect us and they have a way of working things. I don't know how, but they do fascinating things. I don't know how many there are. I don't know if you got a two or three, a garrison, you know, a clutch, a bodyguard group. I don't know how many of them there are. But scripture's very clear on this that we do have angels that are administering and protecting us. Are
2: there two different kinds of angels?
0: No, not no. Um, When we talk about um, different types of angels, oftentimes they'll talk about uh, cherubim and seraphim as as, kind of strata along those lines. And then there's kind of a third type that people talk about, the archangel Michael. He's kind of in a category all his own. You know, he would be like the supreme allied commander of all the angelic forces. At least this is what we believe the book of Daniel reveals. Very little, and I mean this, so little is written in Scripture about angels. They are there. We also know that in Scripture, in the New Testament, we're encouraged to practice hospitality and to feed strangers and stuff like that. And Scripture actually says that through that type of hospitality, people have unawares actually hosted and fed and taken care of angels. No joke. You have no idea that stranger that you're being kind to might in fact be an angel. That's what Scripture says. This is all invisible to us. And I think it's invisible for a purpose so that we don't end up worshiping them. And you see that when human beings come in known contact with angels, it generally is a frightening experience. Oftentimes when angels appear, first thing you hear is, if you're not, And then when you read in the book of Revelation, the Apostle John, who went up and spent some time in the eternal heavenly kingdom, he at one point got on his face to bow down and worship an angel. And the angel said to him, don't do that. I'm a servant just like you are. Don't do that. So they're there. We're not told to talk to them, communicate to them, or anything like that, or worship them, or even... Obsessed about it. But they are there nonetheless. Don.
1: When we hear reports of Muslims
0: seeing, or is it is an angel visitation that comes? Some of them say it's an angelic. Others say that it's Jesus himself. This is a fascinating thing. Do you know who the international reporter Uva Simonetto is? Okay. He's a friend of our family, and he's a well-known reporter. I think he worked for Associated Press and UPI. He was a uh, correspondent in the Vietnam War. And you know, raised in Germany, and he's a confessional Lutheran and attends Faith Lutheran Church in Capistrano Beach, California. And he wrote a couple of years ago an article on this very bizarre thing that happens. I am of the opinion that there's something behind this, for a very good reason: is that the theology kind of plays out correctly. Keep this in mind: it's human beings that have been given the task of proclaiming the gospel, not angels. When Jesus appeared to the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul, he sent him into Damascus. And Saul was not a Christian until Ananias shows up, preaches the gospel to him, and baptizes him. So if you use Saul's experience as kind of like a template, then you know that God works through means and the gospel is preached through humans and baptism is all part of this as well. Uwe Simonetto, a few years ago, wrote an article. I forget if it was in World Magazine. I forget the name of the article. It's actually, I have a link to it on my website. But here's what's happening. And he, he noted it where it's happening in Germany. But it's not just Germany. It's all around the world. Is that in Germany, there's a portion of Germany where there are a lot of Muslim immigrants. There's a confessional Lutheran congregation It's not associated with the state church. It's, a, it's an independent Lutheran congregation. I think it's St. Mary's and I believe it's in Heidelberg, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Good pastor, by the way. Great pastor there. A, f- a few years back, a weird thing started happening. And that is, is that Muslims were showing up at his church, and here's what they would say to the pastor. Last night, in a dream, Jesus appeared to me, and I knew that it was Jesus, and it's not Isa. Isa is not... That's not Jesus and Jesus told me to come here and listen to the message here. And they come, they hear the gospel, they're brought to penitent faith in Christ, they're baptized, and now they're communicant members. And this doesn't happened to like one or two of them. The, the church is packed with people who are having this happen. And these, this is happening not just in Germany, this is happening globally. Yeah.
2: I heard that one of the bigger areas was happening
0: in Turkey. Yeah, it's happening in Turkey. It's actually happening in Iran, too. And there was a recent news story that one of the major leaders of ISIS had a similar experience and is now a Christian. I just saw that come across the wires maybe two weeks ago. Now, what do I think about this? Oh, I think Jesus cheats, okay? (laughs) He's absolutely hell-bent on saving people. That's kind of an important play on words, but the idea is is that as a pastor, I am limited with what I can do. God isn't. I've been told to preach the word, to baptize, forgive sins. This is what I've been told to do as a pastor. Jesus, if he wants to, he can, kind of Apostle Paul style, appear to somebody, but they're not a Christian at that point. That's kind of the important thing. They're not a Christian until they hear the gospel, and so what Uva Simonetto wrote in his article was that he found it fascinating that it's particular faithful confessional congregations that are consistently, that this vision of Jesus is sending these Muslims to those places. Not sending them to the state church, sending them to where the gospel is actually being preached. So that which kind of lends more credibility to it. So I kind of put this in the category of potentially really happening. I don't know. But I don't see any theological indicators that would say no. And the one thing that's kind of important is, is that the people in these congregations, that's just the thing that got them in to hear the gospel. They're brought to penitent faith in Christ, and then their lives are just ordinary Christian lives. These are not people who are chasing after the latest signs and wonders and things like that. No, they're, they're in good, grounded churches. They're receiving the forgiveness of their sins, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and the Word rightly preached. So it's fascinating.
2: It is interesting that Jesus is coming to the unbelievers. Yeah. We don't we as faithful. He says, you have the
0: already." Exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. That was part of what I said in the sermon today. Everyone whom Jesus touched is healed. But see, the thing is, we walk by faith, not by sight. And where has Jesus promised to be for us? Every single Sunday. Here. We begin in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, there are two or more gathered in my name. I am there among you. Okay, Jesus was here this morning. In fact, he's still hanging around. I don't know where he is, though. I can't see him, right? But Jesus promised that where two or more gathered in his name, he is there among them. He promises us in Scripture that when you hear the words of absolution, that's not the absolution coming from the pastor, that's coming from him. When people are baptized, they're baptized into Christ, into his death and resurrection. When you receive the Lord's Supper, these are signs to you that God means you good. So when you come to the rail, and I say to you, take, eat, this is the true body of Christ, broken for you for the forgiveness of your sins. This is what Christ has promised to be for you. And He's there. He promises to be there. We can't see Him, but we have heard His words and our faith hangs on to those promises. And we're comforted and we're assured. See, the Lord's Supper is a sign from God. And the sign is, I love you. I forgive you. I'm feeding you. I'm sustaining you. I'm going to help you. It's a sign from Him to us. He's doing the work. But you're right, he comes here every single Sunday. We just don't see him. But that's going to give way. Someday you will see him with your own eyes. You will. I'm kind of looking forward to it. More than (laughs) kind (laughs) of. All right, let's go back to our text. See to it that you do not take my son back there, the Lord Yahweh, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring, I will give this land. So notice, he has the ball. Abraham has the ball. He spoke to me, and he swore to me. So there's that direct revelation. To your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So Abraham has the ball, He's trusting the ball. And the ball is the direct word of God and He makes reference to it. He spoke to me and He swore that He's going to give this land to my descendants. So God is going to do these things. He's trusting in those promises. You see that? God spoke. I believe it. God never lies. That means this is going to go well because I have a sure and certain word from God. See it?
2: Way a but thing but
0: if the woman: Oh, he says, "But if the woman is not willing, he, here's the thing. He knows that it's going to go well, but see, he doesn't know for sure that this is the means by which God is going to give a wife. He knows that the angel's going to accompany him. He's believing that there's going to be success. But at the same time, he's, he's like, he doesn't know for sure that this particular mission is going to be successful in that sense. But he knows that his descendants are going to have this land, so he's trusting. And, of course, he's saying, well, you know, maybe God's going to choose a different, uh, different means because God has not said to Abraham, go to the land of your fathers and get a wife. I promise it'll go well and you'll be able to... You know, he's trusting that God's going to work it all out, and he's not presumptuous. Where God hasn't spoken, He doesn't presume. But where He has spoken, He's sure. You see it? So watch what He's sure about. The Lord, the God of heaven, verse 7, who took me from my father's house and the land of the kindred, who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land. He will send His angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. This is, he believes this because of the sure and certain word, but... In case I'm not understanding God correctly, if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you'll be free from this oath of mine. Only you must not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed. Camels are important. Taking all sorts of choice gifts from his master, he arose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahor. So, notice, he's bringing gifts with him. Bringing gifts. This is kind of important. And I think in some way this kind of hints at the visit of the Magi in some ways. But it's, it's kind of really loose in that sense. You know what I'm saying? So, he made the camels kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the time of the evening, the time when women go out to, to draw water. That's right, Ladies. the days of indoor plumbing, this is what the ladies did. And they didn't do it in the heat of the day, they did it when it starts to cool off. Now that's kind of an important little note because that helps us when we get into a passage in the Gospel of John about the woman of Samaria. When did she go to draw water out? In the middle of the day. In other words, she was doing it in order to avoid being seen by anybody because she was kind of that woman, the one who had five husbands, and the one she's with now isn't her husband. She's that woman. And she didn't want to have to face all the other women at the well, so she would go during the heat of the day so that she wouldn't have to run into anybody. A little cultural note. So you'll notice a lot of times the Bible will give you the cultural cues to help you understand other parts of the Bible. So he said, now the guy's going to pray. Yahweh, God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my Master. What a great prayer. Now notice, he's not acting presumptuously. I'm going to reiterate the point I made in my sermon today. Prayer is not saying, I decree and declare. I'm stepping out in bold faith. I'm naming this and claiming that and creating whatever. It's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Notice the humble prayer here. He knows that God has promised Abraham that his descendants would be as numerous as the sand on the seashore and that, Ab- that Isaac is the son of the promise. He knows this. They're all standing on that promise and they're sure of this, but they're not sure as to whether or not this is going to play out. And he, he's stepping out trusting the Word but not being presumptuous. He gets to where he's supposed to be. And now he asks God humbly... Please, Lord, for the sake of your love for my Master. I don't know how to do this, but here's an idea. If this happens, then I believe that this is from you. Great prayer. Good prayer. It's not presumptuous. It's humble. He's beseeching. He's not naming. He's not claiming. He's not blabbing. He's not grabbing. He's not proclaiming. Right? He's asking. Fill in the blank. You have not because you ask not. Right. You have not because you ask not. That's from Scripture, is it not? You have not because you ask not. It doesn't say you have not because you have not claimed, because you claim not. It says you have not because you ask not. It's ask. You don't demand from God. You're not a God yourself. Your words do not create. And it's not faith To say, I'm proclaiming and demanding and decreeing. That's not faith. That's presumption. This is the exact opposite of that. All right, we're going to pause right there. Pay some bills. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, the balance of today's Roseboro's ramblings through Genesis as we work our way through Genesis 24. Stay tuned, don't want to miss it. We will be right back.
1: If you want advice on how to have your best life now, you're in the wrong place. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false
2: doctrine now. No,
1: no, no, a pirate's life for me. We pillage, we wonder, we rifle, we drink up, we punish your hoes. We kidnap and ravage and don't give a
2: Captain, an enemy vessel off the starboard bow. What
1: colors are they flying?
2: They're flying the code orange flag. It's the SSF Audacity.
1: This is our chance, men. This egregious foe has been plaguing the seas for long enough. To arms! Man the battle stations and hoist the colors. Aye, aye, sir. Man the battle stations and hoist the colors.
2: Bad news! We mustn't let them get the better of us! Call it the praise band drummer and man battle station! Aye aye, sir! You heard the man! Get to work! Come on! Keep going! The enemy's not gonna wait for us! Put your back to your ass! Come on! Get those fighters! And we're out! No warning and no play! Come on! Let's get it! Go! 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 Captain, sir! They're
1: turning to meet us! With this clear weather, we couldn't have had the element of surprise. Well, no matter. We have the wind on our side, and our men are ready. We should be pulling up alongside them any minute now. Give me a status report!
2: Sir, the enemy ship has us outgunned by at least three to one. The gunner's mates are reporting that we're running low on gunpowder, and half the crew is suffering from Montezuma's revenge. Never fear, my good man, for it says that, with God, we shall do valiantly... It is he who will tread down our foes. If you say so, Captain Furnick. They're now within firing range, Captain. Mr.
1: Smithers, send them a... Hang on, let me do this myself. Send them a warning shot off of their port bow. Fire the
2: cannons, oyster! sir! (laughs) That was merely a warning shot, Captain. They could have very well have hit us. I think they wish for us to surrender to avoid bloodshed. Nonsense! You think we would surrender in an hour of triumph? God has clearly stated that no weapon formed against you will prosper. We can't lose! Let loose the cannons! But but we're not within silence! If I wanted your opinion, I'd have given it to you. i say, fire! I've never seen a warning shot where they used all their cannons
1: before. The blasted fool shot before he was in range. I can only assume that he means to not surrender. Quickly fire a barrage into their port side while they reload. Aye aye, sir. Fire the cannons!
2: Ha! Ah, you call that an attack? I have God on my side. He said this to me, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Why why aren't we firing our cannons? We've now lost half our cannons due to the last attack. Come on, men. We can't lose. Aye, aye, sir.
1: Are they even trying anymore? By
2: all accounts, I believe they are.
1: Let's pull up alongside and see if we can't reason with them. It would be bad form to slaughter them without mercy.
2: Hello, over there! Go away! We have nothing to say to you.
1: I wanted to negotiate the terms of your surrender.
2: My surrender? Ha! It is you! surrendering to us. What on earth is he talking about, Captain? Maybe he's suffering from malnutrition and heat stroke? No,
1: I I think he's serious. Now look here. You're outgunned with no way of winning. We wish to show you mercy.
2: No weapon formed
1: against us will prosper. Why is he quoting the Bible? No, a quote would require a context. What he's done is called proof texting.
2: Enough talk, Bandit!
1: What was that? I couldn't hear you over the sound of your mass being demolished. But...
2: but, No! In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us.
1: Oh, would you look at that. Your rudder is gone, too. It'll be a little difficult for you to sail without it,
2: don't you think? I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly.
1: Is it me? Or is your ship now sinking? Nah, maybe it is me.
2: The God of Peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. If it's all the same to you, I think we've lost this fight. I surrender. Geronimo! I can't take me with you. I can't take another minute with this lunatic. Stop it. Stop it right now. All of you come back. We, we, we can't lose. We have. God on our side. We shall prevail.
1: We will. Well, that was surprisingly easy. Makes me wonder how they were even viewed as a threat in the first place. Most inept sailors to ever sail the seven seas.
0: Morning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that decreeing and declaring and commanding are no forms of prayer at all. In fact, the exact opposite of what true Christian prayer is. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring... Fighting for the Faith 2 into the world. You can partner with us. It's a partnership. Visit our website, com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month. That's it. To the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. Of course, if you would like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to post office box 13344 Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. Let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. Just a reminder, we are also into our fall bake sale for this year in order to help us make budget. And uh, here's the idea is that uh, if you purchase a T-shirt from us, uh, it's only 19.95 plus a few dollars for shipping and handling. If you purchase a T-shirt from us, and this T-shirt that we're selling this year says, uh, "I survived the uh, four four blood moons in the Shemitah, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt." Um, that money goes to help us make budget, uh, especially since we're in the process of upgrading our website. Our goal is to have it uh, the new website launched on Reformation Day. Oh, it's gonna be. A lot of work to get that done by then, but we're, anyway, we're endeavoring to get it done by then. The idea here is, is that uh, we've uh, taken on a risk, if you would, uh, made a decision that in order to better serve the body of Christ, we needed to overhaul our website and be bringing new things online uh, You know, with our website uh, that would uh, benefit the body of Christ as it pertained to sound doctrine, resources, warning people about false teachers and things like that. And so we've uh, made the decision to hire a part-time employee. And, uh, the, and that means we 're going to need your help in order to make that you know continue on uh, for a long time to come. so if you haven 't already uh, you know uh, supported fighting for the faith financially, a great way to do that would be to join our crew or to uh, purchase one of our bake sale items, including our t shirt you can also uh, purchase the conference audio from the two thousand and fifteen Uh, You know, uh, Fighting for the Faith Pirate Christian Radio Conference, Uh, that's a great resource. And there's other items available there for you to purchase as part of our bake sale. So the way you get there, fightingforthefaith.com, click on the bake sale link at the top of our homepage, and uh, you'll be taken to the page where you can purchase items to help us Make budget, so that's the idea. All right, we're going to continue now with the Roseboro's ramblings through Genesis on Genesis chapter 24. Here's the balance of that lecture. Here we go. So notice, they're sure with what the word they have. They think they understand what that means, how this is going to play out, and they're cautiously going out on that word, and they're asking for guidance in light of that word. Does that make sense? For instance... I know for a fact that Jesus wants us to go and make disciples of all nations. I know that. Know that for sure. Now, I didn't know for sure that I was called to be the pastor of Kongsvinger. I didn't know. I kind of thought maybe I could be when I heard and I started going through the steps to be signed up, to be interviewed, theologically examined you know, have all the background stuff done on you that they do for before they make you a clergyman. And then I was put on the clergy roster. And then you guys got together and you voted. While you guys were doing that, what was I doing? I wasn't going, I proclaim and decree that I'm going to be the pastor of Kongzinger Lutheran Church. No, didn't do anything like that. Instead, it was, Lord, if this is your will. I know that you desire, and it is your will, that the people at Kongsvinger are discipled, that they're taught your word, that they're comforted in the assurance of the forgiveness of sins. I know that this is your will for them, but I don't know if I'm the person who you're calling to do this work. But if it be your will, then let them vote to call me. And you did. And so the idea is, I know for sure that it's God's will you guys are discipled and that you're pastored. That's for sure the will of God. We all know that Scripture is clear on this. But who is going to do that task? Well, we don't always know who God has chosen for that until we kind of sort that out. Does that make sense? This is kind of in a similar way. We know that Isaac, he's chosen. He's the one whom promise is going to come through, which means he needs to get married And we think we've got it worked out on how we're going to get this to work out. He ain't marrying any of those girls over there. But we think we got somebody over here who could potentially be the right person. So we pray. Lord, if this is your will, if this is the one whom you've chosen, this is a big decision. It's a huge decision. Whom he marries is important. It's important in the history of salvation. What would have happened if the servant just went and picked some Canaanite chick? Here, she'll do. That wouldn't work, right? So this is a big decision. But they can only see so far. God can see the big picture. And so Scripture is often described as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Well, this is an old school lamp we're talking about here. We're not talking about a flashlight with you know those huge lumens. It's not even headlights, okay, that you can see down the highway. A lamp to your feet basically means you can see the next step. And then the next one. And then the next one. It's about as far as you can see. God's word is a lamp to our feet. We trust the promises that it makes. We trust what it reveals, and then how that works out in our lives we got about one step and then the light will show us what the next step is this is kind of like that All right. so behold I'm standing by the spring of water the daughters of men of the city are coming out to draw water apparently this is the place to pick up women you know (laughs) this is the days before meet.com or something like that (laughs) So please let down your jar. Let the woman who say, "Please let down your jar," and who shall say, "Drink," and I will water your cameras. Let her be the one. All right. So verse fifteen. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebecca, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance, a maiden. Whom no man had known, she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please give me a little water to drink from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels also until they had finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all of his camels. What an act of kindness. That's good character. And then the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not. When the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing a half a shekel, two bracelets for her arms weighing ten gold shekels, and said, "'Please tell me whose daughter you are.'" Is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She said, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Milcah, whom she bore to Nahor. She added, we have plenty of both straw and fodder and room to spend the night. And the man bowed his head and he worshipped the Lord and he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness towards my master. As for me... The Lord Yahweh has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsman. Then the young woman ran and told her mother's household about these things. So notice here, Abraham trusted and believed that God's angel would prosper his journey, that he would lead him. And it is not an accident that the first girl he meets is from the right household. It is one of his relatives And that he prayed, and the prayer he asked, God answered it firmly. And then he didn't just say, as soon as she said, I'll water your camels too, he didn't say, all right, God answered my prayer. Then he had to test. Whose family are you from? Imagine what this is like, all right? I don't know how far away in, in total miles we're talking the journey was, but I'm going to give you a donkey and I'm going to set you out, and you need to go find one of my relatives living in Wisconsin. Go. <laughs> okay, they're kind of over in the Panhandle area. Best of luck to you, I'll pray. I'm sure you'll have you know a great journey. And seriously, that's what we're kind of talking about here. They're in this neighborhood over here, you know, kind of that area of the world. This is the days before GPS. This is the days before street numbers, which are are very thankful for these things. And they didn't have signs saying, this is Nahor Way, Bethuel Boulevard, right? They didn't have any of that. In this region, go and find my family. He's never been there first girl he meets is the one was the angel with this servant? yeah, the angel was the angel was with the servant, and so by some means, God through this angel guided this man, put him in the right spot, and he still, although he can't see it all working out, he prays for guidance, God gives him guidance, God answers his prayer, and then he confirms. But this is an answer from prayer. He's not even presumptuous about that. All right, I prayed this and that happened. Let's test. So always cautious, always kind of testing to make sure. Never acting presumptuously. All right. The young woman ran, told her mother's household about these things. Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. We'll hear more about him later. Uncle Laban. (laughs) This is our first introduction to Laban. And it always makes me wonder if there was a soundtrack to Genesis, if there would be a little kind of ominous tone with Laban. You know, he's, you know, dun dun dun. He's not exactly on the level in some ways, but for right now, we don't learn that about him. Okay, so remember, Rebecca's brother is named Laban, he's a young man at this time. So Laban ran out toward the man to the spring. As soon as he saw the ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms, and heard the words of Rebekah, his sister, thus the man spoke to me. He went to the man, and behold, he was standing by the camels at the spring. And he said, Come in, O blessed of Yahweh. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for the camels." And so the man came to the house and unharnessed the camels and gave straw and fodder to the camels, and there was water to wash his feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Then food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I have said what I have to say. And he said, speak on. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. Yahweh has greatly blessed my master. He has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you shall go to my father's house and to my clan, and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, Yahweh, before whom I have walked, will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from the clan and from my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath when you come to my clan. And if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water, to whom I shall say, please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, drink and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking, in my heart, behold, Rebecca came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. And I said to her, "Please let me drink." She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, "Drink, and I will give you your camels' drinks also." So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. And then I asked her, "Whose daughter are you?" He said, "The daughter of." She said, "The daughter of Bethuel Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him." So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arms. Apparently they had nose rings. Who knew it? This wasn't just a 21st century thing. Okay. So then I bowed my head and I worshiped the Lord and blessed Yahweh, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. Now then, if you are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from Yahweh. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as Yahweh has spoken. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before Yahweh. Now. That's his first response. He responds in worship. Humble worship. He doesn't sit there and go, Booyah! No. He's on his face because God has answered his prayer and he recognizes that and he's thanking God for the answer. So notice here that even though this servant didn't have a direct revelation from God given through Abraham to him, that this would work out. They had kind of worked out the contingencies. He relays the story in a way so as to not manipulate them. Well, this is from God, so you have to do it. No. He just relays the story, I prayed, this is what happened, and then at the end basically says, so it's up to you. Because the way the plan was laid out, the girl still has the ability to say no. So even the way this is played out, it's not designed to manipulate them using God as a pretense to force them to make this decision. Does that make sense?
2: Um, So why all the jewelry? Why the jewelry? Is there a significance? Abraham Abraham wasn't flaunting, um, telling his servant to show this... Woman, the jewelry
0: that I am rich and. No. You're an aunt. Have you ever given gifts to your nieces and nephews? Oh yeah. You love doing that. Yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, Abraham hasn't. I mean, he's never met Rebecca. You know, and these and so it's not just the servant, it's ten camels, which means there's other servants along for the ride, and yeah, they they've got gold and silver and stuff like that, but they're giving gifts, these are gifts to their family members, you know, which is an, is a kind thing. God has blessed him, and so he's, in a sense blessing them as well, and also he's giving great honor to this girl, great honor. He's not treating her like a slave. instead, he's lavishing on her in much the same way Christ lavishes on us, His grace, His mercy, his, his, even His wealth. So it's a grace that shows she's not to be treated like a slave. She's going to be the lady of the house. You see the difference? And I think that's very important. It's, it's, and it's very appropriate. I think in our culture in the United States, and I hate to say this, the mandatory gift-giving of birthdays and Christmas have stifled in our own culture the true, from the heart, giving that people have experienced throughout history. We've lost a sense of that. Because when do we give gifts? Well, we have to at Christmas. We have to on birthdays. And it's just expected, and it's become something that there's not a lot of creativity put into it anymore. You know? It's compulsory.
2: More like compulsory.
0: That and... What? Gift cards and stuff. Right, yeah, exactly. You you know what I'm saying? And so this, this shows some thought. They didn't go to Zales to buy these things. You see what I'm saying? There's some real significance to this gift giving. There's a message that goes along with it. There's some thought that goes into it. This is family, and it shows how they're treating each other. Very well done. If you kind of dig into the theology what's going on here, it's like, Man, when was the last time I gave a gift like that? <laughs> and it bugs me that I'm convicted about it.
2: So did Abraham know that his servant was going to end up at his brother's?
0: He trusted He trusted. He said, "Go to my clan, go to my family." The gift shows she's not going to be a slave.
2: Becca really didn't she didn't have really anything to say about it.
0: Her. Well, let's read the story. Let's see if the story answers that question. Let's take a look at the text. Let's keep going. So, verse 52. When Abraham's servant heard the words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. The servant brought out jewelry of silver and gold and garments and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave to her brother and to her mother costly ornaments. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank... And they spent the night there. When they arose in the morning, he said, Send me away to my master. Her brother and her mother said, Let the woman remain with us a while, at least ten days. After that, she may go. But he said to them, Do not delay me, since Yahweh has prospered my way. Send me away that I might go to my master. They said, Let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, Will you go with this man she said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate them. little prophecy here. Because she now is going to be grafted into the bloodline of the Messiah. So Rebekah and her young women arose and rode on the camels and followed the man. Thus the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Now Isaac had returned from beer lahai Roy, and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted up his eyes and he saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And Rebekah lifted up her eyes and when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, who is that man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, it is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done and Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah, his mother, and took Rebekah and she became his wife and he loved her. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Yeah.
2: On birth, in verse 60, um, in Oxford crossbow possessed the gate of those who hate him, that talks about the who hate. Okay. Where I
0: that go? takes it all the way to Jesus. All the way to Jesus? Yes, he will rule the nations with an iron scepter, he will possess the gates of his enemies. Jesus is going to possess the world. This is a messianic prophecy. Jesus will possess the gate of all of his enemies. That's such a weird way to think about it. Is he not going to be the king of the whole earth, visibly? Yeah, read it in light of Psalm 2. Why did the nation's rage and the people's plot in vain against his Holy One, Right? against the Lord's anointed? Read it in light of Psalm 2 and you can see the Messianic implications. The other
2: thing that's very interesting is when he's talking about an angel, like we always think like an angel actually is going to be seen. It seems like they're thinking like, oh, because these things are happening, we know the angel is there to help So instead of thinking like they're actually going to see an angel and like a vision and everything, they just know that they're
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and notice that the angel's mentioned twice. In front of the story kind of toward the end of the story as we're getting to the conclusion, it's it's reiterated twice. So they're trusting that the Lord's angel was with them, and what role did you see the angel taking? I didn't see the angel doing nothing. He was working behind the scenes doing what angels do. So completely unaware, yet recognizing that he's there. Yeah? So Jesus possesses the gate. That's like saying... He's a judge If you possess the gates, you possess the city. Because if the gates are shut to you, you can't get in. If you possess the gates, you've conquered. Does that make sense?
2: Oh, this is interesting too. The is gates.
0: Too? Oh, good question. Let me look at that real quick. May your offspring. Hang on. Let me look it up. Hold on. It's singular. It's singular, Zerah. It's, it's singular. May your offspring, singular, possess the gate of those who hate him. Yeah, it's singular.
2: But this, this, this could, have, could we also stretch this. Not stretch, but this isn't a stretch. Um, God possesses the gates of heaven, right? So he, he, he's the one who allows us in, you know, and we're the ones who choose to keep ourselves out.
0: See, so you're going to make me pull up Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against Yahweh and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits enthroned in the heavens laughs. The Lord, Yahweh, holds them in derision. And He will speak to them in His wrath and terrify them in His fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree Yahweh said to me. You are my son today, I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, kiss the sun, lest he be angry with you and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, and blessed are all who take refuge in him. May your offspring possess the gates of his enemies.
2: Going back to that angel bit.
0: Yes, the angel bit.
2: This is a question. Um, whenever we feel like things just perfectly align in our lives and things work out, mm-hmm. you think angels and... God Potentially.
0: Potentially. Potentially. But notice here, you can't see them, can you? Okay? And this is for your benefit and good that you don't. Right. right?
2: But can we think like that servant, like... God is working in all these things. Yes,
0: we can. God is working in all these things. But remember, God works through means. God even works through the means of angels. Are you familiar with that wonderful story. And maybe I'll end with this. Oh, it's um, the story of, is it Elisha? I think it's Elisha. And you know, it's going to be in 2 Kings. This is a wonderful story. I promise it's pretty darn good. Yeah, if I can find it. Found it. 2 Kings chapter 6. Here it is, verse 8. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servant, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and he said to them, "'Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel?' And one of his servants said, "'None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom.' And he said, "'Go and see where he is.' That I may send and seize him. And it was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night, and they surrounded the city. It's a great story, right? At this point, by all account by every intent, this is dead at this point. There's no way out of this. So when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, An army with horses and chariots was all around the city. Dothan's a tiny little town, by the way. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed, and he said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened his eyes, the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses horses. And chariots of fire all around Elisha, and when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord, and he said, "Please strike this people with blindness." So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Notice he didn't decree and declare blindness. And Elisha said to them, "This is not the way, and this is not the city. These are not the droids you're looking for." <laughs> <laughs> So follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. And as soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men so that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. And soon the king of Israel saw them. And he said to Elisha, "My, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you have taken captive with with your sword and with your bow, set bread and water before them that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away and they went with their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. So notice here, for ever so brief a moment, tiny little glimpse, the Lord opened up the eyes of the servant of Elisha. And what did he see? chariots of fire. And he saw, if you would, the detachment of God's heavenly angelic army there to protect him. And notice that Elisha doesn't give orders to the angels. All right, you angels, get to it. Start protecting us. Instead, he prays, Lord, I pray that they would be struck blind. And they were. We don't know what the angels did. For ever so brief a moment, we just got a glimpse. They're there. They were up to something. What part did they play in this? I don't know.
2: The text doesn't tell me. I can't see them. But they're there.
0: And Abraham, he knew that the Lord's angel would go with his servant and help make his journey successful. And miraculously, he lands in the right neighborhood, at the right town, at the right exact moment, with the right girl. Worked out perfectly. The angel had something to do with it, but I don't know what. But the thing is, is that the Lord is the one who made that journey successful. Even if the means by which he made it successful was, well, one of his cherubim. God works through means. Which kind of leads to this kind of thing. When you pray, Lord, a friend of mine is sick, or I'm not feeling well, or this terrible thing is happening in my life. Let's say you're you're not feeling well, and you pray, Lord, in your mercy, would you heal me? Now, you might, with that prayer, all of a sudden start to feel better. God might touch you and heal you instantly. But as soon as you're done with that prayer, if you don't feel well,
1: go to your doctor.
0: And if the doctor diagnoses you with this, that, or the other thing, and prescribes maybe antibiotics or this medicine to help with your illness, and that medicine heals you and your health is restored, God answered your prayer. He did not answer your prayer any less than had He touched you directly. He answered your prayer and He did it through the means of the vocation of doctors and pharmacists and pharmaceutical companies. And so God gets the glory, even though the means by which He chose to heal you was through the means of people that you can see rather than those you can't. In the same way, this is why we pray, thank you, Lord, for the food that we are about to eat. God could, if he wanted to, cause food to magically appear on your table. But every, every morsel of food that shows up on your table, God is the one who caused that food to grow. And even though he used his servants, farmers, to harvest that food and to slaughter those animals and butchers to prepare those meats, Everything that shows up on your table is from the hand of God. Everything. Something to think about. Pick this up next week. So, what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash fire christians. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at a Christian, till tomorrow may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, who vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.